The Positive Podcast is brought to you by OKClarity.com. OKClarity is the place for any Jew, no matter how religious you are, to find an excellent therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And it's completely free for you to use. OKClarity.com's professionals are vetted, and they have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. Yes, you can even find me there, because I'm listed as a coach. If you're in the market for a therapist, a coach, a nutritionist, a psychiatrist, or the like, you want to check them out. If you don't find what you're looking for, they have a concierge service where you complete a short form and they will personally match you with someone. Just an important side note, if you are a wellness professional, I highly recommend joining their directory. Their team is amazing and I've received referrals from their platform. And OK Clarity has an amazing WhatsApp status with over 8,000 obsessed followers. And yes, I am one of them. Their WhatsApp is a free way to improve your mental health, and they post great humor, so you'll laugh too. If you have WhatsApp, shoot them a message at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. We'll put the links to their website and their WhatsApp in the show notes, so you can find those links and go ahead, smash those links. You will not regret it. And now, back to our show. Hello and welcome to a special edition of our podcast. Welcome to a positive podcast. Today we are shifting our usual focus to bring you something a little different. Usually we explore topics like mental health and parenting and marriage and self-improvement. However, for the next few episodes, I'd like to focus on a topic that's close to all of our hearts and all of our minds, Eretz Yisrael, Israel. I know this isn't our usual content, but the current situation in Israel demands our attention. And I believe that when we talk about these important global issues and we bring light to it and positivity to it, we're bringing goodness into the world and we can contribute to positive change. So in the next upcoming episodes, we're going to talk about stories, experiences, voices that matter in the context of Israel. And I want to assure you that even in this challenging time, you have my commitment to positivity and uplifting content. And these episodes are not about not going to be about things that are difficult to listen to. Instead, they're going to be an opportunity to explore inspiring people on the ground in Israel and those here in America who are making a difference, creating fundraisers, raising awarenesses, being a voice for Israel during these crucial times. So whether you've been following us for you know, a long time or this is your first time listening, I invite you to explore a different dimension of our podcast, which we're going to title Voices for Israel. And we're going to unite together in our thoughts and our support for Eretz Israel while continuing on our journey of self-improvement and personal growth. So today's episode, episode number 60 of our podcast, where I have the privilege of sitting down with a truly remarkable person. Her name is Buriar Ifun. Buriar is a resident of Beresheva. She's a mom of four. Um, she is a beacon of positivity and light during these challenging times. She's also the co-founder of Or Chabad, a vibrant community in Israel that's bringing Hasidic wisdom to life and welcoming visitors from around the globe. And she hails from Vancouver, and Buria is the daughter of Rabbi Tzvi and Nomi Freeman. And she's known for sharing her insightful perspectives on world events and Jewish inspiration through her social media and Chabad.org. You can connect with her on Instagram at Buria Ifun. It's in the show notes as well. And in today's episode, Buria shares her experience living in Israel during these, tra- these challenging times. She tells us her experience and her story and how she's bringing light and goodness as she's living her life being a mom and trying to navigate the this this difficult times 
So join me as I have this conversation and share and hear the story and wisdom from Buria and discover how she's bringing hope and inspiration through her little city in Beersheba. I hope you enjoy and sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Hi, Buria. Welcome hey. to a positive podcast. Thank you so Thank much you for having me here. And such a quick notice, and I appreciate it. Um, I follow you on Instagram, and I read many of your articles and different writings, and I've been inspired by your work. And I figured it would be a really great um, conversation to have, specifically since you live in Eretz Yisrael, Eretz HaKodesh, the Holy Land of Israel. And um, I know right now you are at the front line, really, because you're in Israel. Even if you're not the front front line, every area in Eretz Yisrael right now is at war. And um, we're at the medium line here in Beersheba. So you live in Beersheba. What yes. would that be? Can tell it, describe us? Is that south? Like, where is that specifically? Give us a little background. So it's south, but like the end of what we call the south in the rocket zone. Um, so usually when, you know, Hamas starts firing rockets at Israel, first Sterot is going to get, then Ashkelon, then Beersheba. And once Beersheba gets, that's when we know that it's, something bigger is going on. Um, so Beersheba is the first big city that Hamas will fire at. Um, so we get a lot of rockets, but we don't like to complain because we know that Steyrot and Ashkelon get a lot more than us. Right. So you're like the second tier. Yeah, that's, you know, we look at Steyrot and Ashkelon as our warnings um, that it's time to open our bomb shelter. And, you know, they have less time than us. We have a full 60 seconds to get to safety. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why this time we were caught so off guard because, you know, usually we see, oh, Ashkelon Stero got a rocket, time to open our bomb shelter. Um, that didn't happen this time. Yeah. Wow. So tell mm -hmm. me a little bit, or yeah, you're an American that lives in Israel. When did you, just, uh, did you grow up in Israel? Did you grow up in America? Give us a little background. What brought you to Eretz Israel? To Israel? I'm actually Canadian. Okay. Um, most of my family is in America. Actually, all my family is in America right now. <laughs> um, I came to Israel for 12th grade, there was a program called Nala, which was basically in Kfar Chabad. I mean, Nala has a whole bunch of schools across Israel, but there was one in Kfar Chabad. Um, and, you know, the second I landed in Israel, I loved it, fell in love. Not just, you know, with, first of all, it's the country. It's, this is where we belong. We feel like we belong here. And it's amazing to walk in the same streets that, you know, Avram walked in and the whole stories of Tanakh happened in. Um, and also I fell in love with the people here. There's something awesome about Israeli people. Um, the fact just being around Jewish people and also the straightforwardness of the Israeli people and the fact that even if they can be very blunt sometimes, Israelis genuinely care about each other. Um, and I just love that, you know, when the year was over and it was time to go back home, it, it literally like felt like as the plane was going up, my stomach stayed behind and my heart stayed behind. And I just really wanted to come back. I get that. Um, actually, we came back specifically. My husband and I are building a new Chabad Yeshuv in Israel. Um, it's a long, we've been working on it for 10 years, but Baruch Hashem, we have blueprints approved and the land and we're starting construction now. Wow. I can't, I want to hear more about that, but let's <laughs> let's get back to that in a minute. So, so when did you choose to, make an official Leah. um it was a year or two after we got married we spent a year in crown heights and then some time in canada um 
and we just it was it was to build the issue we just thought there was really a need for a Chabad community um, a new Chabad community where everybody can feel shlichus um, so we and we knew that the Rebbe wanted that there be another Chabad Yishuv in Israel that's revolved around Shlichus and that invites guests from around the world. So we wanted to make a new Yishuv that has a hotel in it um, that is kind of like JLI year-round, that people can come and have a beautiful five-star experience, amazing tourism, but in the element that it brings Chassidus to life and people are experiencing Torah hands-on. Wow. That's, I mean, the issue that we've been working on for 10 years is planned to have 500 homes, a hotel of 400 rooms, 100 simmers, which is like a Airbnb. Um, that's why we came. We came just just to do that. Wow. Okay, so, and, and what is the projected start date of this issue? When do people, when is that looking to be actually happening? So I really hope the war doesn't delay anything and if anything speeds things up. Um, we had just gotten to the stage where we had the final plans approved, the final budget approved, and the roads started getting smoothed out and paved. And we were supposed to move in, first 30 families move in. Um, yeah, so we were up to the point where this summer, in in next 10 months, we're supposed to move in with our first 30 families into the Ashok, um, to be there to supervise the construction of the first neighborhood. So the first 30 families move into prefab homes. That's usually how it's done in Israel. It's called a garin or a seed group. And you need the seed group to be there both to found the community and to make sure you have a strong community atmosphere and also to have somebody sitting on the government's head and forcing them to build. Um, because as important as it is, it is to build Israel and the government knows it's important to Israel, there's so much bureaucracy that nobody actually wants to do it. And it just becomes so difficult every step along the way. So we're going to be on site so that the construction doesn't get paused and things move along fast and so that we can build a beautiful community. And we're going to start already, um, even before a hotel is built, we'll start with, you know, glamping on um, Sukkot, which now feels like, Sukkot feels like years ago already, but it was just, just before the war broke out, we actually hosted a massive camping trip in the same forest that the Ishev is going to be in. And we had 350 people camping together and it was beautiful. We had uh, jeeping rides and a petting zoo and all kinds of fun activities um, inside the same forest. 350 Jews of every background camping together around the bonfire with uh, live music. It was just absolutely beautiful and a taste of what we have coming soon. Wow. Sounds like an incredible yeshuv. I, I look forward to visiting it. Um, let's <laughs> let's um, get back into your experience currently when you find yourself in, in Israel. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience as the war broke out and what it's like for your family, where you find yourself. Okay, so we actually, we came to Israel right before Operation Protective Edge broke out in 2014, which was three months long with a lot more rockets in Beersheba. So we were kind of already used to rockets. My kids grew up with, you know, once a year, we have a week or two of rockets. And then when they, my oldest two were babies, we had three months of rockets. So we're kind of, you know, we're pretty chilled to, with about rockets to begin with, um, but we weren't expecting it. It was, you know, simplest tar night. We went to shul. We had an amazing time with a beautiful community, um, got to bed late at night, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're sleeping and we wake up to a siren and we had no clue what time it was. Um, I instinctively reached for my phone because that's usually what I do before running to the bomb shelter. And then I was like, where's my phone? Why isn't it on my night table? Why isn't it like... And then I remembered it's Simchas Tara. 
And it was just, the whole thing was such a shock. Um, we, whenever there's a siren, we have a catchphrase, especially if it's in the middle of the night, I'll say to my husband, you get the boys, I get the girls. Cause we have Baruch Hashem, two boys, two girls, and they're split between their bedrooms. Um, but by the time we got out of our bedroom, the kids were already in the hallway, three of them. One of them, my youngest was still in her bunk bed, just peacefully waiting for my husband to get her. Um, we got into the bomb shelter, shut the door in time. And then my kids were like mad at us. They were like, why didn't you tell us there was going to be a siren? Why didn't, we didn't know there was going to be a siren. And I was like, we didn't know either. You know, as I was saying, there was none in Ashkel in our sterile births. We were caught completely off guard. Um, whenever there's a siren, we do this thing with the kids. Um, we listen to the siren and then we count the explosions after. It's either that or blasting music and dancing, but it was, you know, Shabbos Yom Tov, we weren't blasting music and dancing. So we sat and counted the booms and then we were about to open the door to go out again. And then the siren went off again. And I mean, the bomb shelter is a small room with really thick cement walls. So it gets very stuffy fast. So you want to get out of there. <laughs> you want to at least open the door and get some fresh air. Um, but you have to wait 10 minutes after each siren because when it explodes in the air, it can take time for all the fragments to fall down. I'll admit sometimes we don't wait the full 10 minutes. If we don't hear booms for a while, we'll just open the door. Um, but it was just going on and on and on. I think it was finally after half an hour, we were able to get you know a breather in the living room, but my kids didn't want to go. It was early in the morning. By the time we stepped out of the bomb shelter and realized it was 6.30 a.m. Until then we had no idea what time it was. Um, the kids were hungry. They had to go to the bathroom, you know, in, get the day started but they were hearing explosions in the distance everywhere because it was early in the morning there was no traffic there's no noise pollution we could hear the explosions from all the cities in the vicinity so my kids didn't want to leave the bomb shelter so I explained to them how you can tell if an explosion is in the distance or close by if it's deep it's far if it's a deep sound if it's higher pitch it's closer by I think it was 10 minutes and we were back in the bomb shelter again um, for a while like a long time and then my we heard an explosion and my kids were like, mom, that one was really close. And I was like, you're right. It did sound very close. Um, and when we finally came out of the bomb shelter again, this time it was about 10, 10 a.m. after waking up at 630. Um, our house was filled with smoke, smelled horrible and got a little nervous. So, you know, we stepped outside to see what's going on. And um, our neighbor had also stepped outside and we looked, we stepped out our front door and we looked behind our house. We saw a huge pillar of black, black smoke. And um, we live in a one-story home. Our neighbors have a two-story. So our neighbor's teenager ran out and came to tell us it's the, it's Park Eshkol, it's Park Eshkol. And that's the park right behind our house um, where my kids walk through to go to school every day. Um, so that was a little unnerving. And then my neighbor looked at us and he realized that we probably had not checked our phones yet and had no idea what was going on. So he says to us, it's a balagan. They kidnapped a soldier. They're shooting an Ofakim. And my first assumption was, I'm not hearing him right. Maybe I'm not understanding his Hebrew right because he has a strong accent. Um, but I'm going to take the kids inside. <laughs> we went inside and um, I locked the door just in case. But I was still, you know, I, I thought I must have heard him wrong, because why would they be shooting in Ofakim? Ofakim is quite a distance away. There's never terrorist attacks in Ofakim. They get a lot of rockets, but not terrorist attacks. Um, we ended up doing hakapas around our table in the living room. It was actually, it was very sweet. 
Um, my kids asked, what Torah are we going to dance with? And then my son said, oh, there's a safer on the shelf that says Torah. And he pulled up a, a Lakote Torah and another kid pulled up a Torah R. And my four-year-old had a, a Torah R that was literally half her size. And we took turns reading um, the Hakathais and everything. And my kids each had their turn. Some of them were set around the table, some in the bomb shelter, back and forth. Danced around the table, did l'chaims. Um, we kept hearing first responder sirens and we couldn't tell if it was fire trucks or ambulances. Um, I assumed, cause we were hearing so many and we weren't, we didn't know what was going on at this point. Cause I didn't want to open my phone on Yom Tov. I didn't feel it was an emergency. We have a bomb shelter. I thought we were fine as long as we stay next to the bomb shelter, but I didn't understand why we were hearing so many first responder sirens. I thought maybe the fire is bigger than I thought, but then why would it go on for four hours? Um, so finally my husband stepped outside to see if he can get a clue as to what's going on. And there was another neighbor pacing back and forth in the street really anxiously um, told my husband to go inside but not before telling him there are already 80 dead there's kidnappings it's a disaster you don't want to know what you're going to see on your phone when Shabbat is over go inside and lock your door and my kids had followed my husband and they heard that um, so when my husband came inside and told me that I had this sinking feeling in my stomach because then I realized that the nonstop first responder sirens we were hearing were actually ambulances because Beersheba is the closest ambulance to Gaza. I mean, the closest hospital to Gaza. Um, so if there were terror attacks happening in all the Shavim near Gaza, anyone who was hurt was coming to Beersheba. Mm. And we were hearing nonstop ambulances I have a lot of friends who live in the small Yishabim next to Gaza because I used to work in an organization for three years. I worked in an organization that builds up the small towns in the Negev, um, especially those small communities near Gaza that really, really suffer. Um, you know, fundraise for them and had people that knew how to strengthen community. So I knew a lot of people there and I had a lot of coworkers who lived there and just hearing nonstop ambulances coming from there, driving along the highway near our house. We just sat on the couch and said to Hillam until Simplest Tower was over. And my kids kept asking, when can we check the phone? When can we check the phone? And I didn't want to check the phone. I didn't want Simplest Tower to end and find out what was happening. Um, and then as soon as Simplest Tower was over, I put the kids to bed and checked the news and just broke down. Um, I had a lot of friends that I didn't know where they were, what was going on with them. Um, friends who, you know, posted one thing on Facebook, like one one of my friends in Kfar Aza, who was a coworker um, and, until she had retired. So she's, you know, a grandmother that lived in Kfar Aza and had her daughter and grandkids there. And she posted, we're still waiting for them to rescue us, waiting in our bomb shelter, and then nothing for hours and hours. Um, I, I don't know how to describe that at that point. It was just terrifying, heartbreak. Um, we stayed inside of our house with the door locked and the kids in and out of the bomb shelter, I think for the next few days until, and you know, I work for Chabad.org. 
So I was asked to report on what different shluchim are doing around. And through that, realized that, you know, they need help fundraising. Um, so, you know, I tried to help them fundraise what they needed. And then I spoke with the shluchim in a lot, and they told us how they had 100,000 soldiers stationed in various bases in the area. Um, some are big, well-known bases, and some are small, secret bases. And I asked them if there's anything they need, and they told me um, tzitzis, that the soldiers all wanted tzitzis, and they were running, you know, a lot is like considered a different planet from the rest of Israel. It kind of is. It does feel like it. Um, it's a three-hour drive away from Beersheba, which is the nearest big city. Um, so they said that the soldiers wanted tzitzis, and if we can get them tzitzis, why do you though, think? Why do you think the soldiers want tzitzis? Um, you know, I have asked a few different people, and uh, one one rabbi on a large base. You know, they have rabbis in the army. So one of them um, told me that he thinks it's simply that when they're going somewhere dangerous, they're going into battle, they want to feel close to Hashem. They want to feel Hashem's protection on them. And Titus is literally like a hug from Hashem or a shield. And they feel that. Um, there's also the story that I think everybody's heard by now of, um, I forget his last name, but Guy who had left Shul on Simplistara to go help up front with the terrorists. And he battled a few until he collapsed on the ground and he was wearing his civilian clothes. So when the soldiers came, they didn't realize that he was a civilian um, or a soldier. They thought he was one of the terrorists, God forbid, until they saw his titsis. And it was his titsis that saved his life. So it could be that that story inspired the soldiers to want to look like a Jew and to feel representative of Jews. Or it could really just be the pure faith and amuna that every Jew has inside and when you're at your hardest point, you want to be who you are through and through and you want to feel Hashem with you through and through. Yeah. Tell me, how do you stay mentally sound? Like I know for myself in America, um, mm -hmm. right after Sunday night, we we didn't hear the news till Sunday night. We heard it on Yontif, but not what we actually were consuming on Sunday night. I let myself consume and consume and it was devastating. And the effect on me was so debilitating like all monday tuesday i was just really a mess and i'm not mm -hmm. living in israel and mm -hmm. i don't have little children that are around me 24 7 they're actually in school my routine is back to normal how do you stay mentally say sound when all this was going on and calm and regulated what what is it that kept you um calm so I to, to do what you have to do we learned in Operation Protective Edge, which was in 2014, and I had a newborn then. Um, there was a group of soldiers stationed in Beersheba, and one of them called us up because he had become Balchuva after the army, so he wasn't in a Haredi unit, and now he eats Mahadran food, and his unit didn't have Mahadran food, and he asked if we could bring him food. Um, so us, together with a group of friends, started cooking for the soldiers in Beersheba, bringing them nice hot meals and breakfast and lunch every day. And it instantly turned from feeling despair or trapped to, you know, we're empowered and we're helping. Um, and that's why, you know, we wanted to help the Shluchim and Elad and got them tzitzis. It would took like a two days to locate enough tzitzis to bring down to them and then go and cheer up the soldiers. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, and I learned this from, from Tanya, which Tanya really focuses on 
you have to focus on what you have to do now rather than the assessment of where I am now. Like if you're in a shipwreck, I think this is my father. I think my father's muscle. I'm not sure. It's Fee Freeman. Um, gives a muscle of you're on a shipwreck, you know, sailing, there's a storm and the ship starts getting holes and you don't have time to stop and think, how am I feeling or break down? You just, there's work to do. You got to, the commander's commanding everyone to run. I mean, the sailor, I don't remember my words anymore. The head of the boat is telling everyone. Captain. captain. The captain, yes. <laughs> is telling everyone what to do, run around, patch up this whole block up this, secure this um, sail. And you really just have to focus on what there is to do now because it's not the time for stopping to think, how am I doing personally? There's not, it's, there's no time to break down now. We have work to do. So for a lot of people, the work, you know, for a lot of us, the work is keeping our kids physically and emotionally safe. And once we're able to do that, then there's, you know, the work of doing, learning Tara and doing mitzvahs that, add protection to the soldiers and then even bringing them support if we can do that bring support to the soldiers and there's also honestly here in Israel there's so much work to do because you have so many mothers whose husbands are on reserve duty right now and they're home alone with small kids and they need help and support there's so many people who have lost loved ones or injured loved ones and there's thousands and thousands of people who are displaced they had to leave their homes and flee there's just so much to do right now there's so many people who need help and everybody needs to anyone who feels that they're capable of it and has you know the emotional safety of their children and the physical safety of their children there's work to do there's right, people so, so you're saying that being busy with helping is really what's saving you right now right i mean it's we don't really have time to um focus on the sadness right now right you know there is, I mean, there are moments at the end of the day, I'll sit down for a little bit and, you know, read about friends who lost husbands, children, cousins, and, or read their stories and just cry. But it's moments during the day, not the whole day. We can't afford to be doing that the whole day now, because right now we just need to keep it together and get the ship back to smooth sailing. Um, yeah. Maybe when it's done, we'll have time to mourn. <laughs> How do you speak about this with your children? How do you, how are you explaining to your young children? What are the conversations with your children look like? So, you know, this time I kind of didn't have as much choice as I usually do about it because they heard from their neighbors and because a rocket landed behind our house. Um, so we really had to, they know a lot more than I would like them to know. Um, I mean, today I found my four-year-old climbing on a chair, trying to lock the higher latch on our door. You know, there's the regular lock and then there's the extra latch. And she asked me to come help her and asked why you... she said, um, we need to lock it in case the terrorists come. So, um, we had a long talk. <laughs> um, the kids know, the kids know that there were terrorists. I don't think they know how many were mm -hmm. killed. Um, they know that terrorists came and shot people. They know that there's rockets and they know that the hospitals are full. And if they don't hear it from us, they're going to hear it from their friends or they're going to hear it from their neighbors. We've already, my older kids, minus my youngest, we've already had discussions about it because we've had previous conflicts where we had a lot of rockets. Um, explaining to children what a terrorist is, is difficult. 
because you need to explain to them that there are people who choose to do bad things. So we've talked about how Hashem made a world where everybody every day gets to wake up and choose. Do I want to do good things or do I want to do not good things? And people can re-choose again at every moment. And um, unfortunately, there are people in Gaza who have decided to do not good things and they've decided to attack us. And Baruch Hashem, we live in a country full of people who choose to do good things every day. And Hashem is protecting us and helping us and helping our army that chooses to do good things and protect us. Um, they know about the Iron Dome. They know that, you know, we follow the instructions and Hashem protects us and the army is protecting us. Um, but yeah, now they know that there are people who every day choose to do bad things and there are people who are choosing to do the right things and that they're very fortunate to be together with the people choosing to do the right things. Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good answer. Mm -hmm. Tell me how much does the average Israeli care about the opinion of America or the world's opinion, which is so clearly anti-Israel. I mean, let's talk about the latest news where we had a hospital that was bombed in Gaza because of the firing of their own missiles that they sent out, the rockets that backfired on them. And yet, even though Israel and the president and the Hamas himself said that they that it's their own rockets, we still see the news is not reporting it. I mean, I saw it today in the gym. They said Hamas is reporting that Israel did it. Israel is saying that Hamas did it, as if it's like an equal thing. So my question is, is does this of how does this affect Israelis? And how much do you care about the Israeli opinion, um, the world's opinion? How much does it affect you guys? I think it really differs from city to city. You know, in Israel, there's every city has its complete character. Um, in Beersheba, people are a lot more sheltered from and very disconnected from what's going on in America. I would say in Tel Aviv, people might be more aware, or people who are on social media are more aware. Um, a lot are just shocked that the world doesn't get it, doesn't understand it. Um, unfortunately, there are people that are worried about what the world's going to think. In the past, a lot more than now. I think at this point in this war, a lot of us in Israel saw straight up that Hamas can do the worst possible thing. Um, send us into complete devastation and the world will still turn their backs on us. It doesn't matter. It's not a matter of showing the world, look, they are the enemy, we are the good ones, because the world doesn't actually care about that. And I think people are starting to see that now. Um, but the truth is, in Israel, people are so, I mean, listen, it's a tiny, tiny country. When we're talking about 1,300 people were killed, 200 were kidnapped, and thousands were injured, that means there's not a single person in Israel who's not affected. Everybody either lost somebody or has a relative in the hospital or kidnapped or you know, there, there's nobody who's left out of this. And everyone everyone feels personally attacked, personally attacked. In And you have soldiers going out that literally one of them, his son was killed. He didn't get to bury his son before going to the front lines. So the devastation is so huge that people don't have time to care this time about what the world thinks. Hmm. There's no, there's no room for that. for that right now. I hear that. I hear that. Do you think there's a value in um, us Americans um, sharing 
pro-Israel, trying to, you know, put that on our social media statuses, or is it just like we're preaching to the choir? Let's be honest. Like, we're just, is it really making an impact and difference? Is there value for us to be going online and sharing pro-Israel material? No, I mean, I'm not in America, but the taste from the sense that I'm getting is first and foremost, it's not, it's important for the Jewish people that are disconnected and are especially the students that are on campus and are getting the huge amount of peer pressure um, from their friends to side against Israel and be pro-Palestinian. I think it's extremely important first and foremost for the Jewish people to be educated and understand what's going on and feel confident siding with their own people and feel confident, safe and proud to be a Jew. And then with the rest of the world, you know, I think I don't think we should give up. I don't think we should depend on it. I don't think we should rely on the world. I don't think we should expect anything out of them. I think we've learned from the past not to expect anything out of them, but I don't think we should give up on them either. I mean, there are a lot of really good people out there. Um, and there's also a lot of silent majority which need the courage to not be silent. And um, I mean, I when the on the first day the war broke out, I was really worried because I knew the news is somehow going to get to my family in Atlanta. Um, and I was worried that my mother would be really nervous. And you guys had two days Yom Tov. We had just one day. Um, and I had no way of contacting them and letting them know, you know, we're safe, we're okay. Especially, you know, because we live in the South. So I was worried that my parents, and the truth is terrorists did get to Beersheba. Mm -hmm. They were actually a few blocks down from my house, but everybody was inside by the time they got here. Um, and they went to a more wealthy neighborhood where there was nobody walking outside in the streets. So they didn't, the, the police caught them before they could do any damage. But I was worried that my parents would hear and would be nervous. So I wrote on Facebook, do I have any not Jewish friends in the Atlanta area that can just go tell my parents that I'm safe and fine? Um, and I have a friend that I only met her online. Um, her name's Carrie N. She's Christian. Um, we met through um, when our first child was born in September 2012. We joined a small Facebook group for moms due in September 2012. And um, we, you know, just kept in touch over Facebook. And she seems like an amazing person. And she said, I'll go tell you. It was a 45-minute driver each way. Wow. But she drove to my parents and she figured out she has relatives who are Jewish so she figured out, she told me, I, I told her my parents' address. And she said, if they're not home, there is a Chabad house near them and they'll probably be there. So I'll go find them there. And she found my parents in the Chabad house and told them, don't worry, your daughter's safe and she's fine. And my mother made her promise to keep in touch with me and alert her if there was anything um, not safe anymore. Wow. That's incredible. And yeah. She's not, not, not Jewish. Um, there was nothing personal in it for her. And, um, you know, I, I don't think we should give up on the not Jewish people, but I don't think we should rely on the masses of the world to come save us because right. the only one to save us is Hashem and our own belief and confidence that Hashem gave us this land. So I'm hearing you say that it's a combination of things we have to keep on all fronts. And I think that's mm -hmm. a very good point. You know, in Ruchnius, it talks about this idea that in spirituality, that what we put out, the energy we put out in the world is what we receive in return. And I see so much happening um, in all over the world, mitzvahs that people are doing, good deeds. I mean, 
very assimilated, unaffiliated Jews that want to do things and are adding in that and the positivity mm-hmm. that you're seeing. Do, are you feeling that? Are you guys feeling the the the, the love, the connection from the things that people are doing? Are you feeling it? Absolutely. I mean, to for Israelis to know that the Jews around the world care and and back us and are there for us, first of all, is is huge. We're not alone. Even seeing that the rest of the world doesn't care, at least we know that we have the Jews around the world. And um, I think that despite the huge amount of tragedy, there was also a huge amount of miracles. And we need to pay attention to those also and um, know that, you know, those are definitely the merit of all the tzvilas and the mitzvahs that the Jews around the world are doing for us in Israel. I mean, That's I beautiful. spoke with a mom from Sterot yesterday who literally, I mean, she had so many miracles that happened, but um, she was packing up her car to get out of Sterot, which in itself is dangerous enough. A siren went off. They got into the house within seven seconds and a rocket landed right where they were standing, packing up their car, destroyed their car. They weren't able to leave. Somebody kind of drove them out after that, but the fact that they got inside fast enough, the, the windows and on their whole home were shattered and their house was a mess, but they got into their safe room, closed the door at the second the rocket landed and exploded the windows through their house and landed right where they were standing. I mean, I have um, my friend in Kfar Aza has a daughter who was home with her two small children and um, the terrorist came into her house. She was in the bomb shelter and the terrorist came and shot the door of the bomb shelter open, stepped in, aiming the guns at her. And then she said in English, I have two small children. And contrary to what all the other terrorists did, he put down his gun and said, I'm a Muslim. I'm not going to hurt you. And then just hung around her house for like three hours, um, saw the bananas and asked if he can eat one, and then eventually just left. So between all the horror, there was also miracles. And um, the the tefillahs and mitzvahs and everything definitely make a difference. Wow. What is it that you think that we can do? What do you, what can we do to be of support to you? What can we Americans do to be helping all of our loved ones, everyone in Eretz Israel and Israel? I mean, I think you guys are, you're already doing amazing things. And I mean, I saw that video of, I think it was in um, UPenn where there was, um, yeah, students marching intifada, intifada, and a student just standing there putting on his tefillin or um, Jews gathering together singing songs, Jewish songs while protesters march and just standing up as proud Jews in support of Israel as proud Jews is amazing. And I mean, listen, when we were trying to buy tzitzis to bring down to soldiers, I posted it on my social media once and people sent so much money so quickly. We were able to buy 700 tzitzis for the soldiers plus the other supplies they asked for. They asked for wipes and towels and um, what else? I'm, my mind is blanking. Oh, energy bars and one specific unit needed a very specific type of tool for cleaning their gun. That's really expensive. And people covered all those costs. The soldier asked for a guitar so that he can have a uplifting kumzitz with his friends before they go to the front. And mm. somebody sent me money to buy him a guitar, not even a used one, like a nice new one. 
And we brought it to him and he and his unit were just, they were near tears, just so touched that somebody across the world um, wants them to have a guitar so that they can sing together before they go to the front. Wow. Um, and also, um, he also wanted a book of inspiration. So we brought him a translation of Mendel Kalmanson's books, po um, Positivity Bias. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, perfect. Um, so the care that Israelis are feeling from Jews around the world, uh, the mitzvahs, the standing proud as Jews. And by the way, the soldiers love the cards from the kids. They love them. I mean, my kids handed them out. They each took it. They read. They were showing it to their friends. Look what I got. Look at this drawing, Andrew. Look what he wrote over here. And they all folded it up and put it in their pocket and like treasured it. They they love it. That's so um, beautiful. That's so, it's yeah. Yisrael. Like who is like us, really? Literally. It's so it's incredible. Thing and it's felt here. It's really, really felt. What are some, you know, when all this is going to pass, Mertesham soon, God willing, quickly and safely and least damage as possible. I mean, what are you, what are you going to remember the most? What are you, what are you going to step, what's going to stick out in your mind from this whole experience? Well, I don't know. I would say there's two main things. Um, one would be our experiences visiting the soldiers and how excited they were when my children came to give them gifts. There was just the look, the how touched they were. Because we went to bases that are very far out that nobody really goes to. Um, when they saw kids come and, and bring them gifts, and we told them that they were sponsored for by Jews in America, just you can see how touched they were on their faces. And I don't think that's going to leave me. Um, another thing is, um, you know, you can't keep the kids trapped inside nonstop for a whole month. So there are a few parks in Beersheba that have bomb shelters. And we're very lucky that one of them is right nearby us. So three in, minute walk. In the park? So the park has a big underground bomb shelter. So there's a small room that has stairs. And then you go down the stairs and there's like a bunker underground. Um, we yeah, can't it's kind of real. <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't even fathom the idea. Like there's bunkers under a park. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we luckily have one very close to our house. Uh, three minute walk so part of the walk is a little bit risky because there's nowhere to run if there's a siren during that time but I have a plan with the kids that we they stand next to me we walk fast I tell them okay up until this point if there's a siren we go there now up until this point we're going to go there and over here there's only this place to go to you lie down and put your hands on your head uh, until we get to the park at the park it's beautiful it's undescribable because the whole community came together um, there are some adults volunteering doing crafts with the kids inside the bomb shelter um, everyone brings their lunch together and shares with each other. It's like random kids come up to me and say, can I have some chips? And I'll, you know, give them whatever. And just the unity together is one guy sitting on the bench playing guitar and everyone sitting around in a circle singing together. Um, another adult on the side teaching the kids a dance. Um, and then just all the parents sitting together in circles talking while the kids run around. And then when there's a siren, um, Everyone gets up together, the kids go to the stairs first and the adults watch to make sure there's no kids left in the park and then go down. And um, it's this unbelievable feeling of, we are together in this, we're this one family. I don't know half the people there, so a lot of them I know because they're my neighbors or friends and we plan to meet up there together. But a lot of them I don't know and we're suddenly friends and we're hanging out and talking together and being supportive of each other and sharing our you know, balls, crafts, snacks, everything. And that's really, I mean, the park is a concentration of that energy, 
but it's felt everywhere around Israel. I mean, this one comedian put out this really funny video comparing Israelis on a normal day where they're like sitting in traffic, exploding and getting angry at everything versus Israelis now, which is like, oh, you go first. No, you go first. Let me help you. I love you. How are you doing? Hugging. Um, it's an amazing, unbelievable atmosphere. Like, I mean, I remember the first the first war I was in Israel, Operation Protective Edge. Um, I had to take a taxi somewhere. And usually, you know, the taxi driver haggles with you. He, he says 30 and you're like, no, I know it's really 25. And, okay, fine, 25. Um, this time I was like, how much is like free? You don't have to pay. I'm like, you mean free? I'm like, no, you can't, don't pay me this time. Don't pay me. Like instantly it changes to this one. I love you. We're in this together. I'm here for you. And you know, that no matter what you can rely on your neighbors, neighbors are like bringing each other gifts and asking, you know, cooking cookies for each other. And it's just, it's beautiful. Um, and you know, before this, war broke out there was a lot of division in israel between right wing left wing judicial reform and everything and the moment the war broke out that just melted away and it was just like you know they're after your bodies you realize you have the same soul inside and that's what comes out i know they that didn't on the base they, didn't care. they didn't care which side you were on they wanted all of us dead yeah they don't care you're you're israeli it doesn't matter right or left i mean most of the kibbutzim next to Gaza are far left or medium left. Um, nobody cares about that. It, it doesn't, it's irrelevant. Um, Stay Road is more right wing and nobody cares. Everybody, everybody opened their homes to everybody, right wing, left wing. And then on the army bases, you're all in together in the same unit. You can even sometimes have, I mean, because reserve duty, everyone goes back to the same unit they were in when they were younger. So you'll have some units where you have a taxi driver as the commander and a CEO of a huge Fortune 500 company or a massive unicorn startup in his command, um, a left-winger commanding a right-wing or vice versa. And it doesn't matter anymore. You're all lying on the same dirt, fighting the same battle. Same in the playground when you're watching your kids together and sharing snacks, nobody cares anymore. We're just a family, we're in this together and we're gonna support each other and get through it together. Love that. And then I hope that we can hold on to that after also. I hope so too. Share with us like a parting message that we should keep in mind, us American Jews, um, what we can, what, what should we remember and hold on to? Just give us some parting words of Chazak. I mean, I would say that we're one people. We might all see things differently and think differently. Um, we might be across the globe from each other, but we're one people and we rely on each other. And I mean, we see that how, you know, the war breaks out in Israel and Jews in America, Germany, England are all affected by it too. It's because we're one people and they know that. Everybody knows that. There's no saying, oh, that happened in Israel. It's their government, not our government. Everyone knows that we're one people. There's no hiding it. And we should be proud of that. We should be proud of it and support each other in it, hold each other up and look out. And I, when Hashem sees that we act together as one people, um, he'll give us all the love and support and we need and we'll get through this and it won't happen again that's a shame i mean something really good to remember if people want to donate are you doing any more um donations are you accepting donations are you doing any kind of more um giving things to soldiers how can we help out from so thank god we have enough for our next few visits but um the shliach in sterot chabad of sterot um, is in a very difficult situation. Sterot was 80% evacuated, but there's people who can't leave their houses. Some because they're too old, 
Um, some because they have too much PTSD and stepping outside is dangerous. It's literally, I mean, they get sirens for the rockets, and but sometimes there's mortars that come through without warning. Um, the Chabad rabbi there literally a mortar landed right next to him and miraculously he was okay but it's really dangerous to go outside no none of the stores are open there's no nobody delivering food or anything no restaurants um take out nothing so there's about six to eight thousand people trapped in their homes most of the time in their bomb shelter most of them are elderly or suffering from severe ptsd and um the only one taking care of them is Chabad of Sterot. Their shul is a massive bomb shelter, and they turned it into a huge warehouse, huge warehouse um, full of food. And they've been literally dodging bullets, dodging missiles and rockets and mortars to go door to door to the people who, and sometimes they have to hunt down and find people, knock on doors until they find that there's somebody in this house. And they've come to houses, they've came to a house of an elderly couple of Holocaust survivors and found literally nothing, no food, not oh. even toilet paper or toothpaste. Oh. Um, so people that would be starving in their houses. Um, but the amount of food and supplies they're buying now, plus de delivering and the huge risk they're taking to their lives, they don't have time to be fundraising. Um, so I'd really appreciate if people could donate to them. Yeah, so we'll include the link in the show notes to go on and give what you can to help out. I can't imagine Holocaust survivors after surviving what they went through to have yeah. to relive this. This must be absolute. It's horrifying. Horrifying. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you so much for, um, I guess, I have one last question. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the, the, the story that sticks out the most of Chizat, like the most um, positive from all the stories that you've heard? You've heard so many stories, probably from so many people that you keep meeting. Um what would you say is one story that's just sticking out of your mind of, of chizak and positivity? And That's a really tough question. Um, I'm going to go to this phone call that I heard, overheard of a woman calling, and I don't know if she was calling a rabbi or the army, but saying that it was Friday and she wanted to light Shabbat candles. She never lit Shabbat candles. She didn't know what to say. She didn't have a candle in her house, but she couldn't leave because she lived in Ashkelon and she was stuck in her bomb shelter. Could someone please help her light Shabbat candles? For the first time in her life and um the just hearing her voice and the beauty in hearing her neshama come out and think that um despite this horrible horrible thing that just happened her first instinct was i need to connect with hashem and um just beautiful shows shows who the jewish people are and shows why we're we're gonna why we're forever why the jewish people always survive any anything that comes by us and why we're the nation that lasted despite so many nations trying to take us down and yeah that is a beautiful story it really is it's a good one to end on um Beria, thank you so much i'm going to also include people your instagram and people want to follow your writings and your your stories you. it's always insightful and always inspiring i never knew that you were to be freeman's daughter that's an interesting <laughs> sidebar and um thank you again for being willing to come on at 11 30 at night when your kids are sleeping and it's finally quiet in your house, I wish you continued <laughs> success and the ability to stay regulated and calm and be there for your children and for your friends and know that we are all behind you and dominating and praying and doing whatever mitzvah we can to mm -hmm. bring about a quick and immediate end and miracle to all of this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.